This is the Delivery Space podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experience that you won't get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha Joshi. Unfortunately, Sharon, my partner in crime, can't be with us today as she is with us on every single episode. But we have a great guest lined up before you on our podcast this morning. Simon Minol Burdett is joining me to share how he talked himself into a career. It's going to be a fascinating episode. But before we get into it, I'd love to tell you a bit more about Simon. Simon is a consultant with Improving in the US. He considers himself something of an accidental agilist after being introduced to it fortuitously in 2013. He's a father to two daughters, a stepfather to a 13-year-old boy. Simon spends most of his spare time watching Hey Dougie. I'm going to have to look up Hey Dougie. Um, with his youngest daughter, but his perfect day would be a day out with his family, followed by a curry so hot it would strip the varnish off a table. His words, not mine. Morning, Simon. Are you um, sure about that curry, dude? Uh, uh, very much so. I, um, in fact, I could quite easily eat a curry first thing in the morning. So. <laughs> My God. My mum having yeah she would be wanting to tempt someone like you towards more authentic curry rather than that curry paste filled extravaganza that you treat yourself to i would be very keen to try one of your mom's curries so if there's an invitation there then yes please definitely to you and your family my friend how are Fantastic. you doing um, I'm okay, I'm a bit tired, but it's quite uh, odd getting up early on a on a Sunday morning without the kids running around screaming. So yeah, I, I'm okay. How about yourself? I'm all right, thank you. I'm excited to talk to you, and um, just I'm I'm quite mellow this morning actually, which I think suits what we're about to talk about. Um, and and our subject for today, you say you talked yourself into a new career. This is interesting because you and I have spoken about your journey before and I find the way that it panned out for you something worthy of sharing with our listeners. So can you describe the moment you realised that your role wasn't satisfying you? Oh, okay. Oh, so so I'm coming up 45 now. I was 34 when I realised that actually what I was doing was, was effectively coasting. So um, I was incredibly fortunate to have a have something of a career at the time, but it was mostly in customer service, customer accounts. I've done a little bit of everything, kind of bounced from one job to another. But after about six years of working in customer accounts, I think kind of reality dawned on me that I, was, um, I wasn't really progressing and I wasn't really challenging myself. In fact, I turned down opportunities to do um, to do, to do testing roles, and I turned them down on the basis of, well, actually, this seems like a little bit of hard work, or actually, I'm quite comfortable where I am right now, so why why don't I just stay put? But um, 
I was really ill in 2010, like really ill. So I was um, off for about three weeks and laid up in bed for the majority of that. I think I had like horrific food poisoning. And when I went back to work, I think that was the kind of the reality of, is this what I'm going to just do day in, day out? for the for the rest of the year for you know for the rest of my time and I thought well no not really so once I had that like kind of that realization that I needed to do a bit more it was then trying to work out what I was going to do and how I was going to do it when you're when you have that realization it's not um it's not an easy thing to sit with because up to that time you've got in your head that yeah I'm I'm you know customer focus customer set in, in a customer centric role and this is the way it's going to be for me um it's it's funny how we let ourselves go down that path isn't it um and then we come up with that realization to to figure out hold on a minute actually this is not doing anything for me anymore um and it took you taking that time out of work albeit through illness but it took you taking that time away from work to realize that very Um, much so yeah this is so we know that it isn't a an easy realization right to deal with in life sometimes it can bring relief to say oh thank god i've come to that realization myself um or it can also bring a level of discomfort as well. So talk us through like the mental process that you went through once you realized and, and, and um, came to that point in your life where you, you know, it wasn't giving you the satisfaction you wanted. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think back, you know, and this is you know, it's a decade now as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think back to... I, I think back to what, what, uh, 2012 and I'd been I'd been lucky that I'd done some testing work before that and I'd been talking about you know thinking about what the uh, what I'd like to do in my future kind of what, what opportunities might exist so I'd I'd already been sort of projecting outwardly that I had an interest in doing something more and then particularly IT so i when you work for a company, when you work for a, even a, like a medium-sized company, you have different functions within your business that um, that you can effectively go around and just talk to people and express an interest. And that's what I did. I said that I've been doing this for a little while. If there was ever an opportunity, how would I go about doing something different? How do I go from what I'm doing now to doing something like this? And the typical responses I got initially were, well, you know, you'd need you'd need a level of experience or you need these certificates but for me I was like well actually I, I kind of want to start from scratch so I, there's a lot of this stuff that I just don't know right now hmm. so what could I do so I did some days where I would um, shadow individuals but ultimately in the, so when you say about thought processes I was I was just constantly thinking about what are the basic things that I could do? So what is what is something that I haven't tried already? What conversations am I not having? What mm. can I learn in the background? So really, it was, I'd like to say that I had this grand master plan. I didn't. It just, every day I was like, well, what am I going to do a little bit differently to actually try and get from somewhere 
where from where I am right now. And it was, if I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would have been approached, or maybe I would have been, I don't know, but I don't think I would have been approached for what was ultimately an invitation to interview for a role, which then unlocked so many doors to the future. That's fascinating because what I'm hearing when you when you talk about your story is you let curiosity lead you, right? So every day you were thinking about, okay, what what step can I take? But you didn't have a grand goal in mind at that point. No, and and and, and maybe I should have done, but it's I always think back to when I was at school, mm. and this is a bit of a tangent, but. We were told at 15, by the time that you're this age, you should have an idea of what you want to do with your life and what your career plans are, and you should start pitching towards them. I had no idea what I wanted to do at 15. I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but, you know, I get terrible writer's block, so there's no way I could ever become a journalist. I still didn't know what I wanted to do at 30, and at 45, I've got a better idea of kind of what I want to do long term. But still, you know, I, I think people that know from an early age exactly what, to, what they want to do, they, I think they, they're quite lucky, they're quite fortunate. I, I think for the majority of us, that's that's just not the case. No, for me, when I think back, it's definitely not the case. Where I am right now is not what I envisaged at 15 years old. Your life experience, your exposure to the world, exposure to different experiences is so limited. You know, your scope is so limited. And it also depends around your your upbringing, your parents and, and you know, what, what life has exposed to you, your schooling. Um, a lot of factors come into play back then. So I think that's a lot of weight to put on children to, to start carving out a career path so early but I'm, I want to delve into that curiosity a little bit more because I think that actually spurred you on didn't it and what what I love about that is that these weren't impulse decisions this was you working it out trying things um you said you shadowed other people so you 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 came from a you told me a story about being curious about testing yeah, and software that you used to play with. So go into that a bit more because I think people find that really interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so there's a couple here. So go on. it was almost, there probably was a, there was probably always going to be the case that they would end up in software testing at some point just right. something that I wasn't really aware of. So in the 80s, my, my stepfather of the time, he worked for IBM, he was a computer programmer, and he was obsessed with trying to improve the uh, my numeracy skills. I've never been particularly right. amazing with maths, as my wife will attest to. But um, my stepfather created a, a maths test, um, okay. a very simple program through, um, through his computer. And every night I would have to do this and I would have to reach a certain score. Now to begin with, I, you know, it, as it gradually got harder, I, was, I looked for ways to kind of get around it because it was, a, it was quite tough, especially when you were like um, 10, 11 years old. Uh, I wasn't allowed a calculator. I was being, you know, you've got to work it out on a piece of paper. And some of this stuff I just didn't know. So I started playing around with the software. I thought, well, there's got to be something that I can do to kind of like make this a little bit easier for myself. And I kind of playing around with the F keys, I found a way to actually load up an earlier version of the test. And for a month, and for a month, I was running an, e- an easier version of the test. And he didn't know. 
that he started to get suspicious. He was like, well, how is it that you're doing this? And when I explained it to him, he was rather angry. And my mum thought it was genius. <laughs> so, you know, from a very early age, just was just, like you said, it was just curious. I was inquisitive. How does this work? Right. Um, when I found out how I could break it, I did. <laughs> so. I think I think that's fascinating. But like from working in customer accounts departments, right, which is where you, you came across that realization, remembering there's something about you that is inquisitive, that's curious and trying to make the connection between a strength, which is clearly what you have in that area um, to potentially taking steps to look at other roles what kind of support did you get from senior management to kind of move you along to say you know to try different things out because that's what you want to do and people are so keen to put us in boxes sometimes once we you know say express a particular interest but how how did you um gain their support to help you yeah so that's a good question um so i think probably the easiest way of talking um sort of like explain this is that where i'd spoken so much about wanting to do something else and kind of having shown an interest and i'd done some testing um in a secondment very briefly um in 2009 and obviously seen some aptitude you know that seemed like was you know I, I could do it and I was like okay mm-hmm. someone's pretty good at this stuff maybe mm-hmm. we could use it again in the future and I'd sort of turned it down I think it got to a point where it spoke so much about it that what I needed was a you know let's be honest a, a kick up the bum that's what I needed I needed a bit of a kick up the bum when I always think about um and again sorry another tangent I think about um good good man management skills and in football you I remember Harry Bednapp saying, you've got people that need an arm around their shoulder and you've got people that need mm-hmm. a kick up the bum. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm very much in the, I need a kick up the bum. So I had people saying to me, look, come on, if you want to do this, then let's let's do this, this opportunity here, go for it. Mm-hmm. And later in my career, it was even more, it was even more direct. It was, you've been speaking for a long time now about Scrum, you've been posting articles, you've been trying to build this library. Um, I'd even run a retrospective as a tester. It's like, well, I think the phrase, and I always remember this, uh, the two Chris's that I worked with saying to me, it's time to put your money where your mouth is and go and do the role. And that kind of stuck with me because it was like, actually, yes, it's kind of, it's great talking the talk, but you've really got to walk the walk as well. So Mm. having, you know, having a couple of leaders that were really prepared to actually challenge you on mm. what you're espousing and say, well, just go and do it then is massive. I think it's, yeah, it's so encouraging as well. That's sometimes the kick up the bum that you need to see people in front of you and go, actually, these guys believe in me, right? They believe in me. So I'm not seeing what they see about me. I should be seeing what they see about me to spur me on. So, okay. So the two Chris's believe in you. You've you've come out of your comfort zone at that point as a tester. You've started facilitating. You've broken some new ground there, right? Because retrospectives, um, a bit of scrum mastery in there, 
they all need really good facilitation skills. Where do you take it from there? <laughs> so, so just to add quickly as well from the last one, I think I probably on. annoyed people into the point of where they just wanted just to see whether I could do it. It's like when you okay. talk so much about something, it's just, okay, just just go do it. Stop All annoying right. us with it, just go do it. But to your point there about facilitation, it's like when you roll into, like, for example, your first Scrum Master role, if you've rolled out of a, if you've rolled out of a testing role or a developer role, and all you've had is a CSM, and that's all I did have at the time was a CSM. I didn't have any any other formal experience or qualifications you are quite literally there's an element of having to just find your own way and it's right. pretty daunting i mean i had zero facilitation skills when i started i remember um first retrospective i'd looked something up that was different to what we'd already been doing as an exercise and my hand was shaking holding a paper the instructions on <laughs> i was so nervous and yeah. yet when I got into my flow and the exercise moved, I remember actually one of the, the senior, one of the most senior stakeholders in the room actually came up to me afterwards and thanked me and said, that was really good. That was really useful for like um, actually moving somewhere now with this. And it was like, oh, that's great. But um, <laughs> in the moment, <laughs> it's absolutely petrifying. Yeah. But I think it's the energy. So there's, this is what I, I'm trying to come to the realization um, recently that there's your strengths, but there's also the energy that you bring to it. And, and the people that you're facilitating sense the energy that you're bringing to that space and they respond to it, right? So at that time for, for a stakeholder to come up to you in a retrospective, let's face it, at the beginning of it, you were like, mm, I'm not sure how I can deliver this or not. It was a retrospective you're describing there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure how this is going to pan out. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm finding it a bit daunting. But you came over that. And yet the energy that you're describing that you must have given out was really was well received by stakeholders because they found the experience useful that must have spurred you on yeah and when you so there's there's almost like a you have to have a it's like finding a stage presence so my background my my dad was a was a teacher for 30 plus years hmm. and my mum was a you know she was an amateur um, actress as well and both both of those require to to have some form of presence now I didn't grow up the most confident person in the world, um, but you have to, you have to, you have to find your own stage. It's almost like um, if you've heard of, have you heard of Lee Francis, the the the, the guy that's created Keith Lemon? Would you would you see the two of these, you know, the the two side by side? So Lee, as an actual individual, is quite nervous. He's he's not. He you wouldn't you wouldn't consider that you know something like a creation like Keith Lemon could come from him. But there is an element of actually having to you're having to perform. You have to step outside of yeah. what is normally yourself. It's not it doesn't mean be fake or inauthentic, but you have to find something to aim towards, mm. to be engaging. Because if I was just kind of like my my normal, normal self when I'd be facilitating, it'd be very I'm sure it'd be quite boring, it'd be quite dull, it'd be quite bland. 
So when mm. you talk about the the energy that you give off, you think to yourself, well, look for the people that are attending. They don't want somebody to say, go to page one, read, read line one. <laughs> We're now going to do this, but people don't want that. <laughs> people, no. people are like, oh, this is going to be. <laughs> I'm going to spend two hours with this guy. It's like. This, this has got to be interesting. There's got to be something here. It's like, I want to be hooked. Likewise, yeah. you don't want to be overexcitable, so hyper-caffeinated, bouncing off the wall going, hey, guys! You know, but it's, you know, but you have to find almost the, uh, an appropriate presence for yeah. for your audience. And I learned that from my parents. Yeah. Well, that's so cool that you that you kept those skills with you because it is it is that presence that you have to find you've got to get it it takes you beyond feeling nervous it takes you beyond the feelings that you're feeling at that time around you know whether the anxiety that's it that's what I want to say it's that anxiety and you've got to do something to overcome it but if you've got that realization within you that hey this is something that I can do and also when you're running retrospectives let's face it you've got seasoned professionals developers who believe in their craft in front of you that want to improve but what you're talking about here is your own if I can call it this personal empiricism right (laughs) because that you you started off at that point and then only got better and better so what was that onward journey what did that look like um if I'm honest with you, bloody yeah. difficult, really right. difficult. In fact, um, I look back and there were people that, you know, tried to help me early days and I was probably a little bit stubborn and probably felt that I knew best a little bit. And you look back and you realise, actually, no, some of the advice that I was given back back in the day was, was like super, super useful, like really investing in your development. Mm-hmm. So buying books, spending time absorbing materials, and ultimately, the biggest one as well is stopping worrying about whether you're gonna, I wouldn't say fail, but um, because there's that whole thing around. It, I see the whole fail conversation sometimes. It splits the community. It's uh, you know learn fast or fail fast. But I've kind of done a bit of both. Um, but I've stopped worrying about whether I'm going to fail and more seeing well actually anything I get wrong now I'm. At least I'm going to iron it out in the future. And I can't possibly know what I don't know. Mm. But you take steps. And I love the point around um, the fact that you said that, you know, just having a CSM does not guarantee the quality of Scrum Master no. um, that you're going to be. Uh, and no. the fact that you you consistently worked at it um, to refine your skills. I'm still doing it. I still turn up to Tobias's um, CSM and I tried one uh, CSM refresher so that I could test myself. And there are still things that I found like, oh, hold on a minute. I should have grasped that when he's, you know, mentioning something around uh, Scrum Mastery or he's mentioning some part of the Scrum Guide. And you're like, "Mm, hold on a minute. There are bits in there that I haven't fully grasped. And so you're you find yourself on a on a continuous journey I think within that role of making sure that you are consistently improving yourself and also reframing areas that you haven't quite absorbed in your practice a hundred percent um when when you have to stop thinking quite so hard about it that's when it becomes easier 
Yeah. So I remember being in one of Tobias's sessions around, you know, then we talked about muscle memory. And it really does work. I remember um, we were talking about certain books that we were reading. And I said, right. oh, let's do some, I'm going to do some muscle memory around um, a specific item in books. Stood up, sat down, said something about it. And you know what? I can still remember it now. And there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember from that day. So being able to sort of absorb that information more so than just having it at the top of your brain is super useful. So I've a lot of the learning that I've done has been like through walking the dog, listening to audiobooks, making notes as I go. I've mm. looked for ways to try to retain this because I've, maybe you feel the same, but sometimes you can get like a real information overload. So when you're saying, yes. oh, I should know this, it's because you're trying to force your brain to retain something on top of all the stress of everything else. Mm. And it's, in a way, it's a little impractical because your brain's just going to say, well, I've got to, I'm either going to throw this out, I'm not going to absorb it, or I'm going to throw something else out. So finding ways to make learning easier for yourself has been, has been a biggie for me, real biggie. And how do you do it? So you mentioned podcasts. You, I know you're an avid reader because you and I have spoken about learning materials that you use, books that you're currently reading. How do you, how do you strike that balance? And what advice can you give to people who want to avoid that information overload? Um, yeah, good question. And that's a tricky one um, because there's some books that I've read all the way through and there's other books that I've skim read and taken the essence out of um mm -hmm. one thing that i've learned from other, other practitioners out in the field um you don't see that obviously we both know noel and he's like he can absolutely he can absolutely absorb books like there's no tomorrow but yeah. i like i liked what he shared about taking the essence of a book and if you're not getting something from it just move on so i try not to get bogged down in material it's kind of like what am I looking to take away from this so if I've bought a book on decision making and I feel that actually it's I'm not getting what I need from it early doors I'll let it go or I'll just move on to something else but ultimately making notes but trying to I found the most useful learning is where you're able to absorb something and then put it into practice almost immediately or at least share it with somebody so that constant like sharing of the message to make it a bit more concrete I did that last year with customer centricity. So the client I was working with, very interested in customer centricity. I had a passing, passing knowledge on it. So I thought, mm -hmm. well, I'm just going to find out a bit more about this. So I invested a lot of money in Peter Fader's, uh, Professor Peter Fader, in fact, his materials, okay. uh, absorbed it through um, audiobooks and started talking to people about it and started... Um, putting stuff on neural and then that escalated to me I think giving a talk to about 20 or 30 people about customer centricity with the client so it's yeah it's it's kind of what works for you but it's keeping it fresh in your mind from a learning perspective I like it and I, I think um, the fact that you're not afraid to learn something new to understand client requirements or understand client curiosities as well and delve into areas where they want to learn more so that you can also almost be like a distiller of knowledge. Um, because I think in, in client work and in consultancy, 
that is that that's one of the value areas that we can really provide yeah a client may not have asked about something directly but it's also it's where our learning our learning mindset really comes to the fore because what we're doing there is actually exploring different areas and opening clients up to different ways of looking at things which is what you did you have to be relevant as well so you have to be you know when when clients are you know they're looking out with being thinking about things that are going to be useful for you and a client a client starts talking about customer centricity for me there's i don't think well okay i'll just wait and see where this goes you know if if a client said they were gonna get you know they were gonna be looking at um i don't know something really random like a french cooking i'd start looking into that as well i wouldn't wait i think well i want to get ahead of the curve here i want to be as relevant as i can and i I say french cooking but i can't cook for toffee but i think that there is an element of actually um look if you're going to be useful then you need to be very proactive in what that means to be useful yeah absolutely and i think clients appreciate that because they may not have a chance to look into something that they're interested in or may not be aware of the complete spectrum of areas that exist under customer centricity um, and what it takes to have that approach or where they should start and opening that out. How did that talk go? How was that received? Yeah, it kind of went okay. I, it, was, it was a, so there was, thankfully, they, there was a lot of people there that already had a bit of knowledge that had been and I was sort of just adding adding to that but yes I wouldn't say it was like it was amazing because I was a little bit nervous it was the first time that I'd given a (laughs) a talk on it but um the general feedback seemed to be quite positive um if I would if I would do it again I probably would iterate on probably like how how I kind of developed and delivered it but I'm glad I did it so even though I couldn't, you know, and and maybe, you know, and maybe I'm being a bit tough on myself. Maybe there are people who say, no, actually, it was really good, Simon. But for me, it's, um, I'd want it to be better. I'd always want it to be better. So any sort of mm. talk that I gave. And I always, and rightly or wrongly, I always ask for critical feedback. And I think I did get a little bit of critical feedback. But what I really appreciated about the critical feedback is I, I didn't look at it from a, oh, that's mean. I looked at, actually, there's some really, really good points there, actually, in mm. terms of, how I could have you know improved the delivery and how I could have made some of these this more more engaging so yeah so I, I, I suppose it went okay to answer your question but I'm a bit of a perfect when I say a perfectionist I mean I'm a bit tough on myself when it as we all are yeah. when it comes to delivering something because we we want it to be bang we want it to be perfect yeah and that, and that's and do you know what I say to myself when I put myself in that mood I say it's gonna like a, a level of perfectionism is gonna take away the happiness sometimes that I could bring to something or the joy that I could bring to something and sometimes people appreciate things just not being that perfect I think because they can then see the human side of it or you can deliver it um, in in so much uh, of a of a better way um i've never seen a happy perfectionist let's put it that way no (laughs) i don't think i have so i try and convince myself that's my internal dialogue that goes on when i'm i'm saying actually you know enough is just enough at that point and then you can reiterate in in future um 
in in future talks or future presentations i'm i'd love to know we're coming up to that part of the year simon where people are evaluating like last year we had the great resignation that we heard was reported about we um usually come up to that time of the year around winter new year where people start evaluating where they are what they're doing for a living what steps that they can take to either better themselves or they actually some some of us question whether we should be doing what we're doing just like the um, realization that you came to all those years ago what advice would you give others who find themselves in a similar situation wow that that is that is a biggie so do you mean in terms of um people right now saying to themselves actually i'm not sure if i want to do this or i'm not sure where i want to move yeah they're Um, not they're not satisfied their role's not fulfilling them let's say um so there are so picture so i wouldn't i'm always wary of giving advice um because but i you know because you know it can be quite personal to you and you know context is king not everything works for everybody yeah but you know reflecting on my kind of what i did um resilience is a big thing in this um so but what i mean is that if you're if you're particularly unhappy or if you feel that actually no i like this is this is not what i want for myself this is not the direction you're going to need to be prepared to take a lot of knockbacks Mm. um and maybe not everyone's seeing the value in you when you try and you know change direction but even in that even when things aren't going well and maybe um maybe not getting the best of feedback when you're trying to change direction being able to i wouldn't say you can find the positives being able to find something that you can work with something Mm. that you can focus on and also what i would say is that sometimes you might get feedback that actually do you know what i don't care doesn't bother me i'm uh, i'm just going to do my own thing anyway but if you're feeling particularly uncertain right now you, you need something to hang your life on that's what i did i had to find something to hang my life on i was just lucky that sort of agile came along mm. but even if it hadn't i think I still would have looked outwardly for something else mm. and given it a go. And if it hadn't worked, move on to something else. Um, everybody, I remember Tim Minchin saying this in a talk that he gave years ago, you know, everybody's like gets focused on achieving this big dream, but actually your big dream should be something that you achieve, that you reflected on having achieved on your deathbed, not, not within the next five years. So having that incremental that step towards something a little bit better so mm-hmm. say for example for me i was just you know i was working in customer accounts making that next step up doing a little bit of software testing for me that was that was a really exciting opportunity for somebody mm-hmm. else it might be something else but what i would say is if you want to pitch high and you can get fired aim for that fine do that but don't push too hard too fast that's kind of that's probably one of the you know one of the life lessons that i've taken sorry i'm not sure did i ask your question fully yeah you did you did and what i'm taking from that is don't wait 
What I'm no. taking from that is don't do not wait to take action because no. you can convince yourself, right? I'm going to wait until I've paid all my bills. I'm going to wait until I'm debt free. I'm going to wait until I've got this promotion and then I'll see where that gets me because it might open up some new doors. But then whilst you're doing that waiting, what's happening? Your satisfaction is getting eroded more and more and more. And what I think, what I like about your story, Simon, is you didn't wait. You knew there was something that you needed to do and you started to take action. You kind of played with, you had curiosity and you played. So you you played with your strengths and that itself in itself gave a really good impetus to drive you on. So that is the key thing I'm going to take away. You can wait forever, but you you took small steps. You took that that's a comment that you talked about was a very initial step that then moved you on to better things um, and finds you where you are at right now. So those would be my main takeaways. But yeah, you did. You did answer my question. And yeah, your take knocks, you know, dude, if I share with you how many times my project management voice of command and control interfered with when I was trying to practice scrum in the early days it would be unreal and you'd probably fall off that chair laughing at me if I reveal some internal dialogue but um honestly I yeah I just think taking that action however small to move you to better levels of satisfaction in your career is a is a really positive thing I would just add as well, if you can take a real battering in what you do, and I don't mean like being physically battered, but if you can take a, a you know, if you can take a mental battering yeah. in what you're doing, you will be a lot stronger for it. Um, so I, I, there's a couple more, there's a, a couple more stories, and you know, I'll, I'll let, I'll probably let you close up. But um, when I first started out as a, a scrum master, I thought it'd be a really good idea to use something called a Nico Nico board, which is like a happiness index. Right. It'd be a great way, you know. Yeah, I get to. Are you kind of are you, are you happy today? Are you ambivalent today? Are you kind of are you feeling sad today? And when when I ran that for a couple of weeks with the team, and kind of like varying results. Um, so on occasions we would uncover something that then led to a development opportunity for somebody else. And I took that away as being quite a win, just that one, that one opportunity. But the team hated it. They absolutely loathed it. And when they gave feedback to one of my peers, that was the, you know, that did not, <laughs> did not reflect well on me. Absolutely loathed it to the point of, and what I mean about resiliency, and I can laugh about this now, is when you're in a room of individuals, and the feedback session effectively then becomes pointed at you and you've got five or six people that are literally excoriating you like ripping the skin off you because they're frustrated and as a scrum master you're like that as jeff watts calls it you're that lightning rod for dysfunction so mm-hmm. well the system around you is not perfect you become that focal point for all the frustrations and that's not to say that i i, I hadn't not helped with that but <laughs> I think if you can if you can walk away from those experiences and one laugh about them and mm. two realize that actually you know I made a mistake and it was a at the time it was very difficult to process but now actually I can absolutely see the value in what they were saying I can see where 
I've made a mistake. And you know what? It can't possibly get any worse than that. Because yeah. I'll tell you, once you've been sat in a room and you've got a lot of people very unhappy with you, I think once you can navigate that, a lot of everything else becomes it becomes a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. I've had a scenario like that. Definitely will share that with you. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's not it's not an easy situation, but it does make you self-reflect big time. And you start developing that thick skin as well to realize that, hey, you know, there are some assumptions that I'm making about my own abilities right now and where I am on my journey may not be what I'm seeing in my head. 100%. Yeah, 100%. So Simon, if we want to... um, well, we definitely want to do a follow up with you because there is a lot more to this story. So uh, first of all, I want to thank you for coming um, and speaking to us about your journey and sharing that to help others. But I also want to um, ask if there are platforms there where, where people can get in touch with you if they want to work with you um, or they want to seek um, any sort of advice or have a chat with you. Where can people get hold of you? So, yes, yeah, so I should carry I'm a terrible waffler as you may have noticed as well from this i have a tendency to, to waffle away go off on, on, on little tangents but if people are interested in listening to my waffle and my tangents they can find me on linkedin so just search my name simon hyphen over there you can find me there um likewise if they want to contact me outside of that all they have to do is drop me it will drop me a message on linkedin and i'm happy to connect via email um unless you want me to share my email here uh, no, no worries. What we'll do is we will share your LinkedIn profile um, with all the show notes um, where the, where everyone can find the podcasts um, and then hopefully they can connect with you there. And if you if anybody, if any of the, anyone watching attends Tobias's or is planning to attend any of Tobias's workshops, you tend to find me there as well. Like, like nice. the Scrum Exchange, for example, which is... Um, I would actually, do you know what? It's funny, actually. I think probably by ending on that is probably, um, it's quite, it's quite poignant because a lot of what I've achieved in my career since 2018 comes down to the fact that I looked outwardly into the community to find people to connect with. And Tobias was a huge catalyst for everything that's happened in my career because I wow. went out and I met Agilists. Yeah. And yeah. I took that an external view. Now, if it hadn't been for going to the Scrum Exchange in 2018, I would. Nice. I don't think I'd be where I am now. So, if anyone's really, really stuck, look out, look out into the community, reach mm. out to people, see what you can attend, see what you can be part of. And just a note: I had no money back then, and Tobias gave me a ticket for free. Wow! The, the zip, the zip, mm. and he doesn't realise how much he changed my career. Well, so when he listens back to this, he's going to know, isn't he? <laughs> um, that's such a lovely thing to say. And it's a beautiful note to end on around community and the fact that if you reach out and if you nurture the community that you belong to, so you contribute, you take from it and you learn from it. Um, there are so many supportive people out there that's such a beautiful note to end on thank you so much Simon and thank you everyone for listening I'm glad um, you're getting to know Simon through our podcast so please do reach out he has a 
an incredible um, a source of knowledge uh, to share. So we are ending this episode now, but thank you so much for watching and for listening. Follow us on all our social media platforms. And